Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back, everybody. Let's see. Today, I've been cutting timber on a client property. Then I got home and I did some maintenance on my own property. We've gotten a ton of rain here. And, you know, in these periods of rain, high rain, a lot of it, you know, starts to get me a little bit worried because I want to dry out period so I can actually cut more timber. I don't like cutting timber in the rain. I think most people would agree with that. I'm on the road tomorrow and a client, I'm headed up to Adirondacks and I will be working up there for the day and uh, back home and then another client in a few days after that. So just constantly on the road and trying to finish up this season. It's been a a good habitat season for me. I'm actually going to cut a few more clients before the end of the year. And then hunting season begins October 1st for me. I will have to admit, I was going to work on trail cameras tonight, getting them start, you know, started and set up, etc. so I can deploy some more cameras. I run a lot of cameras. I have about 45 cameras that I run. So it's a lot of data, intel, and analysis. And uh, pretty much, you know, in the month of October and November, that's pretty much what I'm doing I'm not necessarily working, uh, but I am doing preparatory work and habitat plans, et cetera, for folks that I just finished up on. So I don't know. I figured I'd share, you know, where I'm at. And uh, I uh, I did a podcast before this on box blinds, and it was Rocky Burris and myself. We talked a little bit about our preferences, Rocky's units that he designs, you know, some of the commercial products that are available what I'm providing to my clients and what I've experienced with, you know, certain types of blinds and preferences, et cetera. Again, I think, you know, to each their own, we want people to get out there, you know, see how they feel in the blind, but we're going to talk more about, you know, blinds today. So this is kind of a part two discussion on box blinds and I have a brand new guest on. Hey, Eric Hansen, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. I want you to introduce yourself to the audience and just kind of get people familiar with you. You're going to be on the podcast again coming up, so I want to talk a little bit about you now. Oh, all right. Um, so I'm a farmer by trade. That's my that's my main job, so to speak. I've got about 3,000 acres in Ontario County, flat farmland, very rich soil. Um, I own some timber, not a lot. I've got a lot of fields. Um and then I'm lucky enough to also have a place in Steuben County, more of a hilly, uh, mixed ag area. So I've got those two places to hunt. I do travel some, but I just put so much time and effort into the local stuff that it's hard for me to leave. Plus, being a farmer, you know, I'm just out there every day. So I started um, filming my hunts probably 15 plus years ago. Uh, it just came about because I think we were seeing stuff and quite frankly, people kind of doubt what we told them. So a friend of mine and I said, I would just start filming this stuff, you know? And, um, one thing led to another, we started with Midwest whitetail back when they were just getting going. Uh, we've contributed there. Um, Bill Winky obviously got out of that and we kind of 
went our separate ways and actually got together with some people that we met on that show based out of the Northeast. And, um, um, I contribute now to that group. It's called just hunt club. We're on YouTube. It's been going for, I think three years now. It's been fairly successful. So you can, you can check out our stuff on just hunt club, um, YouTube. So that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's nice to know your history. And I, I remember watching you on Midwest Whitetail and then obviously on Just Hunt Club as well. And you've had some great hunts and it's been nice to follow, you know, your growth and strategy. And, you know, being a New Yorker and I, I you know, people are listening all over the place, right? We've got people in Canada, the Midwest, the South, right? There's people all over the place listening to this podcast. So, you know, this this is not intended to just be New York centric. I want to be clear on that. Uh, just so happens to be I'm in New York and I know some people in New York like Eric um, and, and Eric's going to be on again. We're going to talk hunting strategy this, this season. I've got actually a bunch of new guests that are going to be on for that hunting strategy session throughout the season. So that's going to be exciting. And Eric's going to contribute in that. So Eric, I want to kind of dive in to, you know, you've got these properties and a lot of them, I think there's a lot of fields and I know that, you know, one of your key areas that you, Hunt, I think, is down in that Steuben County area. And I know that you use box blinds on a lot of your properties, but not always. I want to talk a little bit about your box blind selection and choice in your properties. Are they man-made built? Are they purchased? You know, what what are they? Well, it took us about a year to uh, realize that the we went the cheaper, the man-built wooden ones. And we did this all probably eight years ago-ish, seven or eight and that was our first time doing it. We actually started with some wooden ones, and then I actually had a grain cart, an old grain cart on the farm, and we, we constructed a top over it, and it was, you know, pretty crude. Um, that was the start of it, but then once we got into buying, I think the first, you know, professionally made one was a redneck, and <clears throat> we just went from there. Um mainly rednecks right now i do have some uh banks as well um but those are just so much better than the man-made ones and i'll tell you i was thinking about it before we came on here from for my style of hunting which we're going to get into i know the, the those box blinds have been i mean a huge like i would rank them right up there with trail cameras just the technology and what I'm able to do in those and the strategies with them, especially in these fields or like these, you know, I call them rut fields, like just overgrown fields where there's no trees. Um, and then you throw in the fact that down in the Southern tier where years I try to hunt those hills and the switch wind directions and everything. And I mean, I literally made places I could not hunt huntable by having those box blinds. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the prior podcast, same topics echo what you're suggesting and identifying as key. And especially in the field settings, you know, a lot of listeners on this have, you know, some areas that are very open. And in order to kind of facilitate movement, you know, you talked about natural structure, letting things go fallow, et cetera, screening, those type of strategies I mean, to get in and out of a location and hunt it or just have an option, you know, just having ability to get elevated, um, you know, these box blinds, you know, give you that, that feasibility to, you know, access some area and have success. And I'm going to say that 
I agree with you. I think box blinds are a game changer. So let's talk about, you know, your setup specifically. And I want to get into, you know, are you putting box blinds on, you know, are they are they just on skids? Um, are they elevated? And then I want to get into your layout within the box blinds. Are you using, you know, they have padded systems, what accessories? Are you making any modifications to them? Anything along those lines for the box blinds themselves? And I also want to hear things that you don't like about either one of the brands you just brought up. Yeah. All right. So I have both station, what I would call stationary and movable blinds. Um, most of the stationary, I prefer a wooden platform. It's one of the rare occasions where I like wood. Um, the metal is loud, I think, and you get ice on that. And it's just, I, I don't like, it. I do have, I think two 10 foot metal ones, um, just cause I needed the height, but I'd say on average, the majority of mine are like in that six to eight foot off the ground, just high enough, you know, to get a little better vantage point. Um, but not super high because you got to remember it just crushes me sometimes. This is a little bit of a tangent, but guys spend all this money on these box blinds and they will put zero thought into how to get in and out of them. I mean, if you're going to invest the money and station one of these expensive blinds and not have it very portable, I, the most important thing you can do is you better have a planned entry and exit to get in and out of those things. Because the first time some, you know, eight-year-old doe pegs you in there and every time they come out they're just going to be on edge and staring at you so you have to take the proper steps to secure that entry and exit and i can go down you know a bunch of ways we do that but um in terms of movable ones we have i believe i've got like three now that i can move one is just a, a banks on, on the skitter system so that one's basically on the ground and i can pull that around on my tractor or four-wheeler but we've also got these that we've made elevated slightly and they're just on like, I have one on top of them that, that grain wagon that I told you about to yep. begin with that gravity wagon. And then I've also got them just on like those basic trailers you buy from runnings or from, you know, tractor supply. And we just build a little, you know, elevated wooden system on those. And I'm telling you the deer, they just, they don't mind them. Um, they really don't. If you get them out there, uh, you can, I would literally hunt on the first night you pull them into the field. And the key to that is the fact that they seem to be on some sort of a farm type wagon and the deer just, they accept that way more than they do some pop-up tent blind. If I was to go out and put a pop-up tent blind out there, those deer would blow at that thing the minute they came out. But something on like a farm type structure, they just, they don't seem to mind it as much. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Now, let's talk more specifically about the blind setups. You know, what are you using? I mean, I'm even interested in the type of chairs that you're using. Do you do anything to quiet the blind down? Any camouflaging? Anything along those lines? I don't bother with camouflaging them, really. Um, in terms of insides, I, I like the redneck stools probably the best. They're not overly big, and they have a little swivel to them. I find that Every now and again, you get one with a little noise to it, but it's not enough to it's not enough to blow your hunt by any means. Um, but once in a while, they'll just get some sort of a um, a noise to them. But most part, those have been my favorites. Um, one thing I do, I always have the padding, and I always have the rubber floor and the carpet. Um, I will, however, 
seal up with any sort of venting on them. Um, I'll use like flex seal or something and just seal those things up. Um, I'm almost always, unless I've got a flat ground hunt with steady winds, I'm almost always keeping those windows closed the entire time. Um, for me in those hilly areas where that wind swirls, I just, I, I can't, I can't. I mean, and that's, that is probably the biggest challenge with them is when you've got multiple deer in front of you and you've got the windows closed and you have a, your target buck comes out or if you're shooting does getting the windows open without deer, you know, like on a light wind night, that's, that's very difficult. And I've actually missed some opportunities at bucks because I had deer so close and I couldn't get the windows open without blowing the whole field. Hmm. So that's probably one of the, that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, that is a challenge. And even if you have the window open a crack, they see that. Well, let me ask you another question. And we're talking about setups, you know, a lot of times, and I, I, a lot of times we're accessing our properties from the east sides, right? That's that seems to be a predominance in at least a lot of properties that I'm on, and you get that west wind, you know, that west sun setting, and it just shines right into the blind, and and all my blinds, you know, on the back side and the on the non-shooting side, I typically have blackout windows or some type of covering, and that's been helpful, uh, at least you know concealment wise. But still, there's quite an obvious situation where you're opening up that window. And I think we talked previously on other podcasts, I've talked about, you know, when you're cracking those windows, make sure you flex those windows, especially on cold days to, you know, make sure they're exercised. The other piece of it is, you know, the the sun penetrating. And so thinking about, you know, aspect in relationship to the blind, putting the blind maybe where it's facing a little bit north, so you're not getting those kind of southerly western type suns penetrating in the blind at least you know reflecting off the blind or reflecting off some surfaces within the blind and that may be kind of basic for folks but you know that concealment piece of it you know i've done i've done a whole bunch of different things eric and you know i put in trenches in front of blinds i put in berms in front of blinds just to keep space between me and the deer right creating that separation of space is hard to do using vegetation or some physical barrier, like I said a second ago, berm or fencing for that matter, just trying to keep that fencing. I really hate seeing, and I know a lot of people do this, and I, this may offend folks, but I really hate seeing where they got these giant cornfields and, you know, they cut this trail through the cornfield and they put a blind in the middle of it. Um, in our states, my familiarity with that is, one, you're, I don't like putting, you know, a, a food source and a hunting location in concert with each other directly on top. I, I just don't like that setup. Um, but I've seen it work in many instances as well. And I, I also find that in those instances where you create those trail systems, you get a lot of flow and movement for deer up to that blind. And you find a lot of tracks because, again, it's, you know, it's a path of least resistance. So, you know, in these setups that you have on your property, I want to kind of dig into one of your key setups where you've been successful. You know, maybe think on that Stuben farm you know, what, what's your layout been? How, how have you set up these blinds for success relating to the access and, and kind of, you know, diagnosing kind of where you can get in and out of a blind without getting nailed or, you know, opening up the window, getting a shot. Like what are, what are some of the tactics that you're using in a particular setup that you have? Yeah. Um, so I've got one, I'll talk about a couple specifically. One, I literally had to go like blaze a trail with a, with a mulcher through honeysuckle that was, you know, totally impassable. 
and I just made a thin trail up the back side of this blind. It's lower than the blind. So I'm, I mean, I can literally come up to the base of the ladder and just my head is looking out over it. I can see if it's clear and I get up in it this year. Um, I've got a brand new setup that I'll talk about where I've got an eight foot redneck. It's a, it's a, actually a six by seven. I went to a six by seven this year and I can explain why later, but, um, that particular one, it's not even that far from the house, but I have a switchgrass field and pine trees behind it, and I'm going to mow like a six-foot walking corridor through that switchgrass to the base of that thing and just climb up in it. Um, one thing with that blind that's a little different in the past is it's not directly – I have hunted with success on food, okay? Um, however – this particular one, I made a about an eight-foot-wide strip of clover that winds down through this overgrown field, and that I'm gonna be that is gonna be my shot. And then I've got the food source in sight, but not in bow range. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to set these things up almost always for bow shots. I just look at it like if I can setting them up for a gun is way different i mean it's it's quite frankly it's it's easier (laughs) yeah it's easier you know i mean it is um but the but the minor details going to give them a bow range and that's what i'm just trying to do i I think that's great because you know we're talking about that transition and i had this epiphany this year where i've got a similar setup where actually you know i took a three acre field and shrunk it down to three quarters of an acre then i have a windy trail system so in, in some similar sense, you know, like you're talking about. And I've set all my box blinds up for bow hunting because what I've always said, and I've said this to clients, is as we get through the season, their movement, their predictability and movement decreases. So, you know, early to mid-season, and I'm talking about October, right, because I'm just talking about bow hunting in, our, in my particular area, you know, their movement and, you know, the predictability is a factor in how I want to set up my, my strategy. So most of my setups are for bow hunting. Now, you know, the gun hunting setups like you're talking about in these big fields, you know, you can be some distance away and it's thinking about your relative effective shooting range in concert with your setup. I mean, you could have, you know, just think of an easy setup where you've got, you know, east access, you sneak up a hillside, and then on top of this hillside, there's this, you know, you know, I guess this metropolis, this field, and you've got it kind of meandered and, and figured out where you've got food systems and linkage and the whole nine. But literally walking off that road, you know, sneaking up a hillside into a box blind, that's a little different strategy when you're hunting with a gun. You've got to put these deer in close range and proximity. So I'm interested in kind of more of your setups. And you talked about the six by seven size and its benefit. Is what's what is what's the change there for? <laughs> so first of all, the one of the guys I hunt with the majority of the time is is six foot four and he's got like an eight foot wingspan. Oh, so uh, <laughs> that, okay. that's part of it. But the, the, really the, the main reason is I've never, I've never found you can have too much room in these things. I've got kids now. Um, my daughter's going to be 12 and she's going to first year bow hunt. So awesome. like, I'm going to have all my hunts are filmed. So I'm going to have now when I go with her, it's going to be me and her and a camera guy. So it's just, I can see this coming, you know, to get the kids and we're going to continue to film this stuff. So I just went to the six by seven. Um, I don't think I'm going to regret that. Um, 
one of the challenges with those blinds too is you know you've got windows so you've got designated shooting openings i mean you you have to get um <laughs> dear dear move you know and sometimes the challenge we've had is you know which window are you going to open and you can guess all you want i mean you can take educated guess but you know deer you know they do what they do and all of a sudden bam they're through the corner window and oh crap now we got to get the horizontal window in the front open and that's a different kind of style opening and it's, it can turn into a fire drill pretty quick um you know so it's as good as they are, there, there are those challenges. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, too, is you talk about, you know, light and stuff coming in. I don't like I, – I, my real preference is I don't like where you can technically see 360 out of a blind. I really like to have it with some background cover. And for me, in a redneck, that's going to mean about – three, maybe four of the windows I can actually see out of, and the rest of them are totally blacked out, preferably with a some sort of cover behind it. Um, so I just wanted to throw that in there. No, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of people skip the cover piece of it, and I, I complained last time about those see-through options where you have that, I guess, uh, material that they apply on the bank splines where, you, can, you know, it's, yeah. it's one way. But th- those don't work well, particularly in low-light conditions. So... You know, and I've also seen in conditions where, you know, that, that again, a west-facing, you know, blind where you're looking through those windows, you know, I've seen where you can actually see, you know, movement and, you know, in the blind, you know, from a deer's perspective. So, you know, it's interesting for me to think through each one of these setups. I like your idea with having some cover so it blends in naturally. Um, another strategy I think a lot of people are doing, and I, I see this quite often, is they're putting miscanthus grass you know, in relationship, the height of the bottom of the blind, right, for, for in and out coverage and screening, et cetera. And then what I'm doing in my setup specifically is I'm taking that same kind of, you know, structure and using that as a, a um, you know, a, a masking system on my blind. So, you know, there's not a bad idea of actually using kind of that material where you're, you know, putting some type of banding around it and stuffing in corn stalks and that those type of things. I think that works actually great. And I think that kind of adds to the overall look of the, the blind. At least it makes me feel like aesthetically it, it actually makes sense in that setting. The other piece of it is, you know, maybe using like kind of long-term fixtures, like putting in spruce trees and letting them elevate and making that part of the scenery. I don't, and, and this has happened to me quite often talking with clients is I'm, I want those blinds somewhat portable in every instance. It's the same scenario where I have where I'm going picking out a tree stand location. I want four options with every single location that I can get. Now, that's ideal where I can move the stand around a little bit because, you know, you will get picked off. And I've seen people get picked off in blinds like you're suggesting earlier, and it becomes kind of this, you know, this this focus point for deer. And, you know, they become, you know, more accustomed to, you know, seeing what's happening at that blind location and then backtracking you and cutting your track validating it's being used for you know it's got human disturbance etc yeah. etc et so you know they're they're getting you after hours as well and i think people should sort of recognize that all right yes. i want to i want to yep. go i want to go into things you don't like about box blinds particularly the block the two types of box box blinds that you discussed earlier the the banks and the redneck and i, I don't mean you know you disparage anything i just want to talk about things that mm-hmm. you wish they could improve on or things that you see better with other blinds that you kind of wish you had you know based on your experience well the one that intrigues me i don't it's just so much it's more money is those grizzly blinds like 
from what I can see, and I've been in one, I think those so far seem to me like maybe the Cadillac version, but they are more money. Um, they just seem to be very tight. They're solid. Um, but like I said, I do not own one of those. Um, so the, what I noticed with the banks blinds, I, I like, I think they're very solid. I think they're stronger than a redneck in terms of just like, you know, if you were to tip one over per se, but not that you're planning on that, but I just think they're, they're very well built. Um, but what I don't like is they, they're circular. So they may be a quote unquote six by six blind, but it's very noticeable when you're in them versus a redneck, which is an octagon, that corner space is noticeable. Um, so I guess I kind of switch back to buying the rednecks. Plus they've got that six by seven option. Now, um, the bank's blind door, I wasn't overwhelmed with, it was a little bit noisy. Um, the seals on these blinds are very important. Um, one thing I've gotten into doing is to put some oil on them in the off season, just some like whatever vegetable oil, olive oil, whatever you want and try to keep those seals from, from rotting. Um, I've had some seals on the doors on a redneck come off and you just got to kind of glue them back on because I mean, let's face it. I mean, I'm in these things and it's almost like, it's almost like you're in a capsule. It's like you're, you, 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 you literally some days you hold your breath until you get to the blind and then, you know, cause you're like, oh, I don't want anything to see me or smell me. And then you get in the blind, you close the door and it's like this relief, you know, it's like, Oh, we're, we're safe now. Um, but, but you just, if you see daylight, if you see daylight or those, those seals aren't working then well, you know, it's, it's not ideal. I have, started to spray like a nose jammer product in them a little bit. Um, I don't know if that helps or not. It's just kind of a, it's a mental thing for me. I don't know. Have you done that or had any luck with that? Or are you just trying to keep it no scent? Yeah. I just kind of no scent the blinds themselves. So I'll go up and I'll vacuum out all the blinds. This is my next week's chore. Get everything vacuumed out. All the seats come out. They get washed down. I mean, I don't know how far people go. That's as far as I go is clean out the blind, clean out the interior of the blind. I preset in each blind milkweed and containers. So when we go in the blinds, we have milkweed set up. Um, one blind, I just put up a Titan blind. They're kind of similar to the Grizzlies. And I've got a, I just bought tonight. I bought Redneck has a bunch of good accessories. They're really the only company that has a bowl holder for blinds. So I got that bowl holder. And it's funny because your daughter's starting this year. My son's starting this year. He's 12. So I'm actually building a location for him. I want him to kill his first deer in this location. It's A deer's never been shot here. So, you know, it's I, I want a challenge. So I'm actually cutting timber Sunday after I get back from a client. And um, I'm setting up a location just for him to kill in. And um, I also got a couple other projects in this location as well. So... You know, I, I can get a whole area, I can get a couple acres clear cut in a day, put in the trail system, and we're ready to rock and roll. And I want to have a long range shooting in concert. And this is all within a forested stand. So, you know, I, I think, you know, when you're getting these blinds set up and you're worrying about concealment and access and all that kind of stuff, you know, I, I just really focus on, you know, my boots and ensuring that you know the noise aspect of it and that suggestion with making sure those do you know those doors open and close without too much noise i have an old stump three and it's got the it's got like a, a levering system 
and a roller, and that thing makes all sorts of noise. So that would be a bank spline stump three. And I, I just don't like it at all. And um, the grizzly blinds, I have a grizzly blind, and uh, Josh uh, Stryker, my partner, he also has a grizzly blind, and he has a redneck blind. And we've kind of compared and contrast those back and forth. And on the grizzly blind, I've actually had one of the seals break on the door. I also realized with that blind, I think the new ones are a little more rugged. They've, I think they've upgraded some aspect of it. But, you know, it has to be perfectly level in, in order for the door to kind of close. So I, I didn't really like necessarily that aspect of it. But to your point, the octagon shape and spacing, I, I think you're totally correct and right on with that versus those really circular blinds. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of that. And I also think window treatments are a good thing, you know, looking at, you know, the, the, you know, the shape of the, the slope on the sill, you know, any coverage, anything deflecting rain, so to speak. I think those are all important attributes of these blinds. All right. So let's get into one of your setups. You, we talked about one setup. I want to, I want to hear about uh, another setup that you might have that you think you're going to have success on this year and what's going to lead to that success. I'm preempting you for your hunting season. So I want to, I want to see what your, your think is going to play out here this, this year for you. And I want to talk about the box blind setup specifically. No pressure. Yeah. No. Well, okay. So, so probably the one I'm, the biggest deer that I'm going to be hunting this year is going to be, well, I anticipate anyway, is going to be in, in farm country. Okay. So this, this story, I'll tell it, but it's probably not going to relate to a lot of people because just because I own the, the fields, but I'll go down. It's okay. I'll be quick with it. So what happens on farm fields is, and Bill Winky was the one that he got me onto this years ago, but you have a standing cornfield. Okay. Um, a deer is used to that and a combine comes in there, or let's just say it's a food plot. You got a corn food plot. I have those two. I have, I have four, three, four acre corn food plots. All right. If you go in there and whether you're going to mow corn or combine corn, that's the first day that a deer has seen that in that scent, in that, in that condition. Right. So the day that happens, whether you're doing a food plot mowing or a combine in a, in a 50 acre field, that is the day you want to move your blind in because a deer isn't going to know they're not going to know that like it's all new to them. The corn's down. Okay. It's brand new. So there's this blind sitting there. They're not going to know any different. And it's like, okay, the corn got harvested. There's the blind. So I've got a particular buck in farm country. That's, let's just say he's really big. Um, and I am going to, it's, it's surrounded in corn this year. And I have like a eight acre wood block that at some point that deer is going to be in. And it's surrounded by corn. I'm talking a hundred and some acres of corn. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have the luxury to go in with a, when that combine starts or even prior to it, I'm going to make a little section of corn. I'm going to mow it over and I'm going to put that blind there and I'm going to be able to walk through the standing corn, get in the back of the blind and have some corn mowed down in front of me and the timber. So that's a particular setup that a lot of people don't have, you know, they can't do, but you can, you, you can still do it with a, you know, a food plot of corn as well. Um, so that's that one. Um, I've also have a couple blinds that are on staging food plots that are kind of long and narrow that lead out to big egg. So, um, 
those are, you know, within obviously bow range of these, whether they're clover plots or brassica or something. But there's there are plots that deer will show up in daylight, and hopefully by dark they're they're gone out, moved past you into the bigger egg. Um, again, go to entry and exit um, if you have to. You can always talk to talk to somebody and have them pick you up. I mean that's that's the last resort. You know, somebody can come with a truck and pick you up and scare a deer off that way. Yeah, yeah, then that seems to work well, at least in the experiences that I've had. Let me ask you this question. So, you know, our corn is still green, and I'll say that in the, the nicest sense. And we're, we're coming into kind of that later part. Um, you know, we're not that far from harvest when we think about it. We've had a lot of moisture. But as things start to dry out, you know, some of the corn is going to get harvested early. Have you ever walked into a situation where you've kind of harvested the corn early and put down, you know, some type of, you know, other grain, maybe grass, like a, a, let's say a combination of oats and wheat, um, maybe in some red clover, you know, in strips within that corn food plot to give yourself a little shooting opportunity in concert with maybe just knocking over the corn, maybe just brush hogging the corn for that matter. Have you done that early season? Have you ever tried that tactic? No, I haven't. You know, I look at corn as a, this is going to be a little side thing here, but corn is very tough to get any sort of cover in, or, you know, cover crop in afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of write it off. When I have corn in there, it's, I'm not going to have any cover crop. I got no green. It's just, it is what it is. And then the following year, I'll try to get it into something green. Maybe it's soybeans, intercede with brassica. I just kind of write that corn year off. It's it's just tough. You know, it's, it's hard to get anything to grow. I mean, look at commercial ag, you know, if somebody had a way to do it, you'd have these, you know, you'd have a way to get cover crop down in there. And I know people have flown it in and stuff, but it's very mixed results, very expensive for what you're getting out of it. Yeah. And, and so, I, I, so I have not. Yeah. I've just, you know, I've heard some mixed things recently. I've had some clients reach out to me and ask me for strategy and, you know, I've kind of have some opinions on this, not, not that I'm going to relay that on the show right now, but I just wanted to get, get your opinion. All right. So we're kind of nearing the end of this, Eric, and I appreciate your insight into some of the blinds. I'm going to ask you one last tough question because I think that's that's uh, that's important. So with your daughter, this year she's 12 years old. She's going to have her first year. She's going to be bow hunting, I'm assuming. Are you going to have a bow, bow hunt or crossbow hunt? What's she, what's she doing? There's no crossbows allowed in this uh, household, so no. Okay, anti-crossbows. <laughs> verti- yeah, it's vertical bow. Yeah. Okay, well, so, you're, yeah. you're friends with the people in <laughs> Iowa then. So vertical bow, and let's talk about her, you know, your plan for her this season and, you know, what you're going to do to make her season a success and how how is she defining her own success this season? Have you guys talked about that as a team? Yeah, so a couple things. The 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 blind. Some people might look at it like, oh, they're they're spoiled. You know, we never had that. But for me, it's a, on the safety end of things. I would. I mean, I know what I did it when I first started hunting, and it was up in trees, and there's no safety harnesses and all this. <laughs> yeah. So like, I fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I don't want her doing that. So I want her in these blinds. I mean, is it? you know, is it, is it like spoiling her? I mean, I don't care. I don't look at it like that. I just look at it as a safety aspect. We can sit there, observe deer and, you know, be out of the elements. I can, I can talk to her and coach her through and do this. Pretty much what I told her was you can shoot whatever deer you want, you know, the first time, Um, you know, after you get your, you know, one or two under your belt, then you're going to have to, 
you know, abide by the, by the quote unquote, you know, standards or rules that we have on these farms. So she's all into it. And, you know, it's, I don't know how your son is, but it's like, they're just this generation, you know, of course she listens to me and sees how we do it. So she's very much like, she's got her strategy laid out. I just want to, I want to shoot a doe first. And I just kind of want to watch these bucks and decide which one I want. You know, and I was like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not going to be, you know, so if you see one you want, you better do it because you may not get another chance. But, yeah. yeah. Um, she, so, so yeah, that's what we've discussed. And, um, you know, she can do whatever she wants to start with. And, uh, she seems to be very much on board with, shooting a decent one to start with and then uh you know step it up from there that's great yeah and uh i asked my son the other day we're in the car and uh, he's actually taking his bow hunter safety course sunday so this is just in time training and you know (laughs) i I, we i asked him you know he's helping me with the box blind setups and and i'm in the same boat as you like I, I call it Cadillac hunting. I never Cadillac hunt my whole life. I, I still do my hanging hunts. I still like my old mm-hmm. climber. And, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I go off and I hunt these farms that are unmanaged, you know, tough hunting, just so I can get back to my roots. Because this, like, strategic design setup stuff that I'm doing, I'm like, hey, why is that deer not? It's four minutes late, you know. And, and I don't want to have my son grow up in that environment and think it's that it's that simple because it's not that simple. And it's taken me a long time to get to the point of making this, you know, process and flow easier. I don't want to make it easy on him, so to speak. So what I'm talking about when the reason I brought up that other setup earlier was the fact that no, no deer has been killed out of this particular area. It's very hard to get into. It's going to be a difficult place to hunt. His shot's got to be a quick shot. It's going to, it's going to press him. And I don't want him to screw up. I don't want him to, you know, you know, have a bad experience, but I want him to experience more difficulties in some aspect of it. But I also want him to, you know, reap the benefits as well. So, you know, uh, other than maybe not shooting a fawn, you know, the first year that comes his way is a dead deer. The only thing I did notice, at least with my son in turkey season this year, is the fact that he killed his bird and I begged him to go out again and he wouldn't go. And so, you know, it's just like, okay, well, I got the spoils, I'm good. And I guess it's a little bit from a conservationist mindset, but the fact is, if he shoots a deer, I don't know if I'll be able to get him out again. So I'm kind of, I'm, <laughs> I'm going through that contemplation. So maybe it's, it's, yeah. it's better to let him grind a little bit and don't give him the easy option. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah. So, so I remember reading, uh, Bobby Worthington. Yeah. Are you familiar with him? I do. I, met yeah, Bobby, I remember, yep. yeah, I remember reading his book and talking about, he would intentionally send his kids to the farthest spot away where he knew they were going to see no deer and he'd make them sit there and sit there and sit there. And his approach is totally different. It was like, I want them to, I want them to grind. Just like you said, like struggle with it and see if they want it. I'm not sold that in this generation, that's going to be a good idea. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that, but that's the one extreme. Um, I do think that it's important though, that the kids see the work that we do. To, to make it happen. Um, yeah. you know, don't just stick them out there and, you know, stick them in the blind and wonder what all this stuff is like, show them, you know, the work that goes in and how much time it takes. And I think that's going to be very important to make them appreciate it and realize that they don't just walk around the corner and show up in front of you. Yeah. And I'll throw out one other thing. And this is kind of a series that I followed on another podcast. Um, Somebody, you know, I don't know him personally, but obviously I, I know of him. He's pretty well known as Joe Donito. He's out in New York State. 
and um, he's part of the Adirondack Tracking Club. And for anybody that doesn't follow some of these guys, these Adirondack tractors, um, there's guys up in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Uh, you, some some may know the Benoits. We'll talk mm-hmm. about Hal Blood. Probably, you know, maybe have some of those guys on this podcast at some point. You know, those guys get to grind. You know, during certain periods of time, and walk the woods and learn deer movement and strategy and how to cut deer off and you know understanding the cadence of movement. You know, discer- discerning speed. You know, the the male or female based on cadence of walk, size of track. You know, just their body imagery across the landscape. They get to see all that. I think, you know, there's an opportunity for us to take our kids and have them experience that style hunting, or that is a grander style. And, you know, one of my strategies, and I don't even know why I'm talking about this right now, but I just talked to one of my neighbors and he hunts in state land. There's, you know, I'm in central New York and that's like, you know, not really good hunting. And there's a, there's a state land area around here. I won't name the name, but it's, it's, it's very bad hunting. And I was thinking about, you know, bringing my son up there to, for him to experience some of that environment. Because last year, one of my buddies and I, we walked some state land and we walked about six miles. I didn't cut a single deer track. And so, you know, it gives you kind of an idea of some of the environments that I'm familiar with, the big forested land and not cutting a single track. I cut plenty of human tracks. I didn't cut one deer track. So, you know, that's maybe a little extreme for some folks, but, you know, six, six miles I walked and I didn't cut a deer track. Um, So, you know, just think about that kind of in light of, you know, your hunting uh, philosophy and, and maybe something, you know, to introduce kids to and, and the variety of styles of hunting too. I think that's important. You know, we're talking about box blinds and I think it's great. I think it's in fantastic, especially during bad weather and these big strategy sessions that we had earlier talking about fields and layout and all that stuff. But I really think it's impressive, yeah. you know, to get these kids to experience different style hunting. And maybe that's, you know, uh, maybe Eric, you come up here to the, uh, the central New York area and we'll, we'll go for a stroll with your daughter. That would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, I'll tell you a funny story. You mentioned all those guys, right? I was last weekend, I was just at Huntstock oh, cool. in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so awesome. like, you want to talk about a fish out of water. I'm, I'm the farm boy, right. Yeah. Going into all these tracking guys and I'm like, and he, the, the, the Just Hunt Club, we had a booth there, and I'm asking, like, you know, who's this? Who's this? I, I was not familiar with those guys at all. The Benoits I've heard of. Sure. But they thought it was so funny that I didn't even know who they were. And obviously, all the people there were, you know, they were there to see those guys. <laughs> yeah, they're guys. Tracking them through. Yeah, 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 yeah and I they, the they were. But uh, anyways, no, it's a different style, and it's great. You know, and like I say in the videos, you know, deer hunting to certain people, it means different things to different people. I mean, for me, you know, as a farmer, a land owner, a land manager, the ultimate for me is to see the, you know, get a buck, see them use your ground, get them to a mature age, learn about them and all the habits and strategies and you go in and try to kill them. The box blinds for me are a huge asset in doing that. Um, you know, if we, for all the reasons we mentioned, um, they're a game changer. They're a game changer. I just try to get, you know, you save your money. You try to go in and buy one or two every year. Eventually, we're going to get to the point probably where we don't need many, and then you're going to start replacing the old ones. Yeah. Um, I'm not to that point yet. Um, I did have a muddy blind that I didn't really like, so we replaced that one. But, um, you know, Rednecks, Banks, that's the name of the game for us right now. And, um, yeah, which – it's it's fun. Um, this season for me is yeah. It's gonna be my daughter, and then um, you know I'll be after something. I'm not sure which one yet, but uh, 
there's some good ones. There's always something, and um, you never know. You never know how it's going to play out. But we'll be smarter at the end of the year. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I'm excited to talk to you again. We're going to get back together sometime, you know, just before or during early hunting season, and we're going to connect and we're going to hear your strategy, you know, kind of look, an outlook for your season and things that you're going to do that are going to be kind of next level tactics that are going to help folks, you know, achieve their goals of shooting that big buck or, you know, managing the herd, et cetera, whatever their, whatever their goals are. So I look forward to those, those next discussions. Yeah, same here. Sounds great. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Thanks, man. See All right. Thanks, you. Yep. We'll see you. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.